Hey, what's up? Good morning, guys. I'm glad you're tuning in with us again this week uh, as we get ready to uh, jump into the Word. Uh, a couple things before we get started. Uh, if, you, if you just tune in and check us out online, we'd love to have you. We meet on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. So we're in Tempe. Hit us up online, social media, uh, email us, that kind of thing. We'll get you the location. And uh, love, love for you to join us. Uh, we spend some time eating, kind of hanging out for a little bit. Uh, and then we get into some prayer and then get into the Word a little bit further on things that we discuss online here. And so we would love to have you. Also, just a couple of announcement type things, uh, administrative things. On December 5th, we're going to have a members meeting, a business meeting. And so if you're a member, we'd love for you to be here for that. That'll be at 5 o'clock on December 5th. And then the following week will be a new members class. And so uh, if you've been joining us or you're interested to see what it's like to be uh, a member of Salt River and what all that means, then that time's for you. So that'll be on December 12th at 4 o'clock. Uh, you need to let us know ahead of time if you're planning to come because we'll have some uh, food and things like that. And so we want to make sure we're prepared for that. Uh, but it'll be a time where we share with you kind of um, about the church, uh, what it means to be committed to the church uh, for you and for us and the, the church being committed to you. And so we would love to have you be a part of that. But make sure you do let myself or Dave know uh, so that we can be prepared uh, moving into that time. That'll be on December 12th at 4 o'clock. So with that, uh, let's... Let's kind of jump into uh, our topic for today and, and look at God's Word and see what it has to say for us. Uh, we're going to be continuing this series, dealing with emotional health, uh, and the title of the series has really kind of been, uh, Can I Help How I Feel, or um, I Can't Help How I Feel. And so we're going to look today at discontentment, and the title for today's sermon would be Defeating Discontentment. So as I was looking this week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I came across uh, a couple interesting things online as I was uh, looking and doing some research, and I discovered that there is a thing called the World Happiness Report. Now, when I saw that, I kind of thought it was a joke, but it's a real thing. It's a World Happiness Report. Relatively new. They just started in 2012, uh, at which time Americans were the 11th happiest country uh, out of 148. Uh, but this year, we've dropped about eight happiness points, they say, and so we're only about 19th. Now, that seems a little bit silly to me, but as I started looking, I, I discovered that there are a lot of people that have committed a lot of time and resources to uh, studies to understand what makes us happy or unhappy, uh, why it is, and who is happy and who isn't, all those types of things. And there is significant evidence to, to really determine that, that people are growing unhappier. Aside from that, just kind of anecdotally, um, I would say even my experience with people is that people aren't as happy maybe as they were at one time. As I was uh, uh, kind of continuing to look, I came across uh, an article that referenced an old newspaper cartoon. Some of my uh, younger friends, you might not even uh, know what the newspaper cartoons are or look like. They're not a myth. They were real. Uh, but this particular one was a, a depiction, a, a picture of a very cliche statement you'll recognize as I start describing it, but uh, the picture was of a, a, a big open field, green, luscious field, and it had a fence right down the middle of it. Uh, and on either side of that fence, there was a mule for each kind of section of that field. Each mule kind of had their, their own field within that. Uh, and it looked the same, it was the same size, uh, uh, and, and it was just a beautiful place. But each one of these mules uh, both had their heads stuck through the fence eating the grass on the other side. And in so doing, they had got their heads stuck and they were unable to, to extract themselves from the fence. 
And there was one word um, written on this cartoon that just said discontent. So we're going to be looking at this idea today and see what we can learn from Scripture about this, about, about our own discontentment or about areas of our life where we're not satisfied. And so we're going to kind of begin in Esther. We're going to look at uh, a story here in Esther kind of to uh, get us started. Uh, but then we're going to try to identify kind of some sources or, or root of discontentment and, and look at a few other uh, passages of Scripture uh, to kind of give us some more examples. And so we're going to start in Esther chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, you can scroll with me, however you want to get there. Uh, chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 9. It says this, And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, And how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all of this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Haman is like number two in command of the Persian Empire. Stretches from India to Ethiopia. We're looking around the 5th century B.C. The man has significant power. Uh, Here in this section we see he's He's recounting, he, he's bragging essentially about all the wealth that he's accumulated, uh, the way he's climbed the ranks with, within the empire, the status, the position that he has. He's brought all of his friends around. Maybe they were true friends, maybe they weren't, but he's, he's brought all these people around to tell them these things and to, to share with them, to remind them how awesome he is and how great he is and all that he has. But still, all of this is worth nothing. He's still not satisfied because even with all this, there's still something he wants, a desire that that he's not being able to get rid of. He wants Mordecai, the Jew, dead. Why? Because Mordecai does not show him the same respect as everyone else. Everybody else will bow when Haman walks in the room or when he comes into their presence, but Mordecai doesn't. So, this is a, a, a significant story. There's a lot that's actually happening. Uh, if you look before uh, where we picked up, if you look after where we picked up. But we really want to zoom in just for just a moment on Haman here and see this. He's uh, upset at Mordecai. Now, Haman isn't a Jew. Uh, he's part of the Persian Empire. Uh, Mordecai is a Jew. Uh, and Queen Esther... Um, the queen's uncle is Mordecai. Okay, so don't get confused. Stay with me. Haman doesn't like Mordecai or the Jews, and he wants him dead. 
the queen has intervened. She's prepared a feast. She's invited the king. And the king has said that he'll grant her request. And, and what she's trying to do is to intervene on behalf of the Jews. So when the king finds out what Haman is actually up to, um, he winds up hanging from the very gallows that he built. Haman winds up dead because of his own discontent. It drove everything uh, that he was doing. He had all of this stuff, all of this wealth, all of this prosperity. Uh, he was an average guy. He he wasn't a Jew by heritage. He wasn't a worshiper of Yahweh by practice. I mean, he was just a, a regular average guy, but he had been very successful. He had managed to take steps to put himself in the right position to uh, to climb the ladder, so to speak, to rise up in the ranks of the empire. Uh, he had a lot of wealth. Uh, he had uh, a lot of things. He had a lot of respect, a lot of power, a lot of authority. Uh, things that, that we naturally strive for and want to achieve. Things that, that we wish for our own lives. But for Haman, this wasn't enough. He wasn't going to stop until Mordecai was dead. And the end result is that Haman is the one who dies from the very plot that he had set against Mordecai and the Jews. Haman just wasn't content. He wasn't satisfied. And I feel pretty confident that we can all kind of relate to that. There's times in our lives where we're just not happy. We're not content. We're not satisfied with our circumstances. So what do we do? Uh, we can kind of go a few different ways in this. We can let the, the discontentment drive us to great ambition uh, or we can let it drive us to a point of despair and, and think, well, I'll just never be happy. I'm not going to be able to, to get the things that I want. And so, uh, so how, do we, how do we deal with this? Where, how do we reconcile these feelings? Scripture's riddled with examples of, of discontentment throughout. But as I was studying this week, one of the things that, that I discovered is rarely does it directly address this singular idea of discontentment or satisfaction. And so I was like, why is that? Why are we not kind of talking about this? You find the word content in Scripture, and there's some places where it is addressed. But many of the stories that, that I came across, many of the examples, it wasn't a, a direct kind of one-to-two correlation. As you look through the story and begin to understand it, you see what's happening, um, but it doesn't directly state those words and say, this story is to describe why you shouldn't be discontent. It doesn't do that. And I think... As I was looking at this, as I was studying this, I think it's because discontentment is the feeling that we feel. Okay, it's, it's, it's kind of the end result of something else. At the root of it is a much greater cause. And so the root, there's something driving that feeling. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together trying to identify uh, what I think is a significant source, maybe not the only source, but a significant source of our feeling this way, our dissatisfaction or our discontentment, our just generally not being happy with what we have or happy with our circumstances. And then we'll discuss kind of just some basic biblical principles that I think that we can apply for combating those feelings. So here's my caveat to this. Ready? Paul says in Philippians, he says, uh, this is kind of paraphrased, but he says, I learned the secret of being content. So if something is a secret, then it's not common knowledge, right? Uh, it's, it's somewhat of a mystery. But he says he learned it. And so uh, that means it's attainable. That means that if Paul learned it, then we can learn it. He's 
teaching on this. And so it's not something that can just, uh, that we can never grasp, that we can never be content, or that it's a lost cause, but that we can work at it, that we can, we can take principles from the Bible, uh, and achieve this. But it's difficult. It's kind of a mystery. So my caveat is this, is, is Paul said that he had learned this, and I've not yet completely learned this. I may understand some of it intellectually, but in practice, in my own life, I'm learning just as you are. So as we go through this, uh, we're learning this together, okay? So we're going to look at the roots or the kind of the source of discontentment, or at least the significant source of discontentment. And there's three words I want us to look at briefly this morning. Uh, and it's three words that we use um, pretty much interchangeably, and they overlap significantly. I mean, they're, they're very closely related, very similar. Uh, but the Bible, as I was looking, uses these three words slightly different nuanced uh, kind of expression. Okay, and so I want to look at these for just a moment. You've got covet or covetousness. I will say covet most of the time, just so I don't have to say the full word because my uh, Kentucky English doesn't allow me to do that very well. So you have covet, jealousy, and envy, right? So I want to I want to take these three and I want to put them in three categories for us. So most of the time when the Bible is talking about covet or coveting or covetousness. It's talking about uh, wanting something that might be a basic need or a material possession, okay? It's a desire, an inordinate desire to have something that you don't have, to have something that you want or that you think you need or maybe that you think you deserve. Uh, inordinate in the sense is that it, it consumes your thoughts and, and it drives what you do. So you begin to take the steps necessary to obtain the thing that you want. Okay, and so, so coveting really, really has to do with basic need type, um, things and material possessions. So I have this, but I, I want more of it, or I want something better than that. Jealousy is really relational in nature. Uh, and it's, it's really wrapped around the idea of, um, the, the fear of loss of affections or the desire to have the affections of someone. Um, maybe those affections are being given somewhere else, but, but you desire them. We see uh, God himself is described as jealous. Um, and it relates to his relationship with his people. Okay? The other most common use in scripture uh, for jealousy is that it's related to infidelity within marriage. And so when it's talking about God being jealous of his people, that he's a jealous God, he's jealous of that relationship, much like a husband and wife that either... Uh, being jealous uh, in the case of infidelity, that, that they've committed their life uh, to their spouse, uh, but their spouse has given their affection somewhere else. So the last one then is envy. And so envy is uh, kind of geared more towards achievement, power, position, success. And all three of these, really the idea is that you want something that you don't have, uh, whether it's uh, possessions, whether it's relationships, or whether it's honor. Okay, and so you've got kind of these three different categories, but but really what they do, when you combine them together, it's the same idea, but it, it captures all of which that we um, become begin to want something else, want something better, want something more. And so we're going to look at three different stories. Um, and we'll, we'll go through them quickly. Uh, but I think that I identify a characteristic of each one of these so we can kind of give you an example of these. So the first one is in 
Joshua. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. Should have had these marked a little bit better. Joshua chapter 7. I just want to read to you two verses and then kind of give you a little bit of a context of what's happening. So chapter 7 verse 20 says this, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So here's what's going on. Just uh, chapter 4, if you look in chapter 6, Joshua is now leading the Israelites into the promised land. Uh, and they come to the city of Jericho. And God gives them some very clear instruction about how to handle this. God has declared that he's going to give the Israelites this land. And so for Jericho, when they come to this city, they're going to walk around it once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they're going to walk around it seven times. A trumpet is going to blow, and the people are going to shout. They don't know exactly what's going to happen, but this is the instruction that God gave them. In addition to that when the city is destroyed, that everything is to be destroyed, everybody is to be destroyed, but they're to keep... Um, they're not to keep the devoted things, silver, gold, bronze, iron. Those things are going to be devoted to the treasury of the Lord. So you don't keep any of the, the spoils of this. You're going to come in uh, and take the city because I'm giving you this land. And so that's what they do. They march around six days. On the seventh day, they're marching. Uh, the order is given. The trumpet sounds. The people shout. And the walls of Jericho crash down. You might know the song. Uh, you may be familiar with the story. But it's a wild story. Think about this from a military perspective, what's happening. Uh, you're thinking about strategy. How are we going to overcome? How are we going to overtake this city? Uh, we've got to get beyond its walls. How are we going to do that? Uh, you're thinking about uh, how are we going to maneuver and flank? How are we going to cover for one another? Uh, how are we going to uh, engage in, in hand-to-hand combat? They're not certain of all these things, but God has given them these instructions. And so they do it, and they shout, and the walls of this city crash to the ground, laying in a, a pile of rubble, just a heap of nothing. And so here we are in chapter 7. Um, after the city of Jericho is the city of Ai. And so they send some scouts. The scouts come back and say, we can take this city with relative ease. We only need about 3,000, 3,000 fighting men. And so they send their 3,000 into this city that they, they, they have determined that they'll be able to take, and they're defeated. They chase the Israelites off, and many die. And so after this, Joshua is, is, is sad, he's concerned, he's upset, and he cries out to the Lord, 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 what do we do? What, what have I done? How are we going to be able to... To enter into this promised land, this land of Canaan that you said that you're going to give to us. But here we are defeated just in our second battle. And the Lord reveals to them that, that somebody in the camp, that one of the Israelites has disobeyed. That they have actually kept some of those things that were considered devoted to the Lord. And in that they reveal, they find through this process that it was Achan. And so the confession that we just read was the confession of Achan declaring that, yes, I took these things. He actually says, I coveted these things. And so the end result in this for Achan, 
he was given clear instruction, but he chose not to listen, not to obey. And in his heart, he wanted these things, this cloak, this silver, this gold. And he thought, I could keep a little bit of this. But the end result was 36 of the Israelites were killed in battle. A nation was embarrassed as they're routed in defeat. And Achan, along with his family, die as well. They're stoned and burned, the scripture says. All for a few things that if he, if he would have just waited, if he would have just listened. But, but the desire of his heart when he saw these things was to take them. He wanted these material possessions. He knew that these things would improve his circumstances in life. That, that, that his lot in life would be better off if he had a little bit more silver and a little bit more gold. And I'll just take a little bit nobody else will be too concerned about it. But it was significant. It was it was a big deal. One of the things that, that I discovered as I was looking at this this week is you begin to look at the idea of, of coveting. One, it's it's the 10th commandment, right? It's one of the 10 commandments. It's the 10th one. Uh, and so it's, it is a big deal. It's significant. And here we see uh, Achan dies. His children die. Everything that he has is burned up because he wanted just a little bit more. He coveted these things. Often we, we kind of overlook coveting. We soften our language around coveting. It's not something that we measure quite the same as we do some of the other commandments. It's clear when somebody has murdered somebody else. It's not always clear when I have coveted. Maybe it's clear to me, but it's not clear to anybody else that's just looking. Not until it gets to a point to where it's affected my life and the life of those around me. It does do that. And so the idea here is that this is significant, that they take this seriously, that it affects not just the individual, but it, it affects his family. It affects the nation. And so it's a, it's a significant, it's a very serious issue of sin that I think we often kind of neglect or overlook or, or just kind of dismiss even at times. And so let me give you a couple of more examples here. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at verse 1. Luke 9, verse 1, reads like this. And he called the twelve together, this is Jesus, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they... Do not receive you when you leave that town. Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, you might say, all right, I see where this is going. I know what's happening. He's told them not to take anything. Uh, they have uh, very little food, very, very little amenities. And so one of the twelve is probably going to decide that he needs more than what Jesus has given them. Uh, but that's not quite the case. If you... Go just a little bit farther to verse 46. We kind of get to the heart of the issue. 
Verse 46, an argument arose among them, this is the 12, as to which of them was the greatest. Let me read that again. An argument rose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Now, Jesus gives them this power, this authority, it says. They were not only witnessing Jesus perform miracles. Now they're getting to uh, experience them firsthand. And Jesus has, has sent them out to do this. Their ministry in just a very short period of time was something that a lot of people in ministry uh, would love to experience and to see and to have. Yet, it wasn't quite enough. They weren't satisfied with just doing the things that Jesus has given them the power to do, the things that he sent them out to do. They weren't content with just being with Jesus. They weren't, they weren't content to be one of the twelve even. You have Jesus, this man, uh, going through the countryside doing all these great things. They're, they're like the inner circle. You've got the group of 12, people are looking at them like, who are these guys? And now they're performing these miracles, but they weren't happy with that. They wanted to know who was the greatest. They weren't happy with it to the point that they're arguing over it. They're concerned about it. They're not just keeping it to themselves. They're having an open discussion about it. Who is the greatest? I want to be the best. I want the recognition and the notoriety. They weren't satisfied with simply being with Jesus. The, the, the idea of, of envy, of achievement, of, of power, of success, wanting what somebody else has. Who is the greatest? I want to be that. And the, the ambition to drive that. But their hearts weren't content. For our last example, turn just a page over with me. Or you may only have to turn to chapter Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Here we have uh, an example of jealousy. Now, uh, another use for jealousy, I don't think I mentioned this previously, uh, or not use for it, but an example of it is within kind of sibling rivalry or even peer-to-peer rivalry. And it, it's related to those personal relationships, the affections of one over another. And so we, here we have the example of, of sibling rivalry. Jealousy of the heart. A desire for affections that someone else seems to be receiving. Not to mention uh, a desire to be recognized for her efforts. We see this one in churches. You've probably seen this. I'm sure it wasn't you, but you've probably seen it. The, the holy servant who serves with great honor. And they're just constantly serving. But when they don't receive the honor that they think they deserve, they're not quite as holy about it. So there's a few things that are kind of at play in this. that the, the, the scripture kind of reveals what's happening in their hearts. Now we can look at these things and think, ah, 
how could she be that way? Or Achan, how, how could he, how could he take that stuff? Or the disciples, really, who would argue over being the greatest? But, but all of these, each of these examples, and there's, there's so many more that, that reveal the heart of men and women within the Bible that reflect the heart of men and women today. This is a, an issue that I think is, is far more significant than we often want to deal with. Now, in all of these, the idea is wanting something, wanting something you don't have, something you think you need, something you think you deserve, or something that would uh, improve your circumstances, it would improve your lot in life. And the degree to which these thoughts go unchecked directly determines the result I have in my life and I have in your life. The degree to which these thoughts go unchecked directly results the effect they have in our lives. So let me give you some examples. Um, when I was a child, I liked to get good grades when I was young. And so uh, when I was in school, if I took a test and received anything other than an A, I would be unsatisfied with that. I wouldn't be happy with it. I wouldn't be content with that. And so I would work a little harder um, and try to improve my next Grade, my next score, my next test, or my next assignment, so I can improve my overall grade. Now, was I being sinful or covetous? I don't think so. Could it lead to that? Probably. Had my discontent been so severe that, that I made school and grades and academic success or achievement that I made that the object of my worship? Then yeah. There's probably... Uh, people in your life that you've interacted with at some time or another that maybe that was the case for them. See, here's the thing with this idea of, of coveting as it relates to discontentment. And I started with the caveat that, that it, it's kind of a, a mystery in some ways. It's not a black and white type issue. Uh, there's a lot of gray area. There are things that, that, that may not be bad that, that we may pursue that are good, but if left unchecked, if not put in its proper place, then it assumes the place of God in our life. And so this idea of coveting, you see it uh, in the Ten Commandments, you see Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, is that, that coveting often leads to these other sins. It's very dangerous. That, that coveting kind of reveals... Uh, what's in the heart or the the desires of our heart. So that w- that's a really basic example, right? Um, but we can apply this to so many areas of our life. Uh, think about the house you live in. Have you ever wanted another house? Um, uh, not only just wanted another house, but, but a, a house that you found that was like your dream home. Maybe uh, another house in your town or community or city. Or maybe a house that you found online and you looked at this house and you studied this house and and you thought, maybe I could build a house this way, or maybe one day I can buy this house. But to buy it, I'm going to need a different job. I'm going to need more income, or I'm going to need my circumstances to change uh, as it relates to uh, my position in our company, or whatever the case may be. And the thought of this house consumes your thoughts. Consumes your thoughts to the point to where it directs the steps in your life. Uh, it, it drives the direction of everything that you do. And so the object of your worship is no longer God. You don't care what house God wants you to be in. You don't even ask, God, where would you like me to live? Is this exactly where I'm supposed to be? God, I want that one. And so I'll stop at nothing and be willing to sacrifice anything and everything until I get it. 
Or I could go the opposite direction and realize there's nothing that I can do to ever get that house. Leading me to despair, to depression, to to being angry with God. Or to the point to where I can just no longer function and fulfill my responsibilities because I'm so emotionally distraught over something that that I I want or I, I think I need or I deserve, but yet I haven't got it. I'm, I'm giving some very obvious examples, but the reality is this plays out in different ways in our lives over different circumstances, over different possessions, uh, over different uh, times in our life with different relationships or different roles that we serve in. It could be so very minor at the beginning and lead to something so catastrophic in the end. It's something that we need to address, a job. There was a time uh, in my own life, and honestly a desire that still exists in my own life, uh, where I wanted to uh, serve as a chaplain in the military. And so uh, it, it really consumed my thoughts. I made plans, I took steps, I daydreamed about it, uh, and I wasn't content where I was at. I wasn't content with anything else that I had because this is what I wanted. And in time, as I sought the Lord with it, I began to understand that, that that's not where he was leading me at, at that particular time. Or, or I think any time in, uh, in my career or ministry or service. Now, it took me a long time to understand that, but the desire of my heart became the object of my worship. And so when I didn't get what I wanted, then it led to feelings of discontentment, of not being satisfied, not being happy with where I was. Think about relationships. Uh, think about, if you're married, think about your husband or your wife. I think about uh, before my wife and I even started dating, that if she was uh, having a conversation with somebody else, that I was jealous. I wanted those affections. I wanted her affections. I wanted to be in that conversation. Think about marriages, probably people that you've known or maybe even yourself, and uh, a marriage that it's not living up to the expectations that they had. And so when it doesn't meet those expectations, uh, they become dissatisfied with it. Uh, they're not content with the relationship, with the marriage that they have. Uh, and all that they can think about is the marriage that they want. And then in work or some other public setting, they interact with someone else who gives them that attention, who expresses those affections to them, leading ultimately to infidelity. I mean, the stories of that are, are numerous. And it started with something very small. We rationalize these thoughts in our head and in our hearts with phrases like that's what we deserve or that's what would really make me happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Um, I deserve to make more money. I deserve to have a, a larger house, to drive a nicer car. I've done X, Y, and Z, and because of that, this is what I should get in return. We spiritualize these thoughts. Uh, we say things like, I, I could be more effective for the kingdom if my circumstances would change to this. If only God would grant me this request, then I would serve him in this way. If God would change my life here, look at the effects that it would have on others' lives. When really it's, it's a matter of our own heart. Now it's time for another... Uh, Disclaimer or caveat. I'm not saying it's wrong to want something or that we can't have things. 
or that we can't improve our position in life. I'm not saying that. Um, the idea of covetousness is when God is replaced as the object of our worship. It's, a, it's that inordinate desire to have something, to achieve something, uh, to want something that, that consumes our thoughts uh, and, and, and really directs our steps. It determines the decisions that we make in life and, and will sacrifice anything to have them. But I don't want you to hear me saying something that Scripture doesn't say. So it doesn't say that we can't have things or that there's uh, things that we might want. Uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And John uh, talks about um, asking the Lord in prayer for things, and he will grant us those things. But it's, it's centered around um, God's will and not our own. So... I don't want you to to hear me say you've got to get rid of all that you own and 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 join up to live in a monastery. I don't even know if there's a monastery close you could do that with, but I'm not saying that. At the same time, I don't want to be soft on this because I think too many times we miss it. And if we if we catch it early, then then we stop it early, and those feelings of discontentment, those feelings of dissatisfaction. Dissipate because we recognize at the root, at the source, what's happening in our own heart. So how do we check that? How do we keep that in balance? How do we overcome these feelings? Uh, I found that somebody just telling me to be happy doesn't really work. You know, just suck it up. You'll be all right. Doesn't usually help. The reason being is it's not primarily an emotional issue that we're dealing with. Primarily, we're dealing with a spiritual issue. So let me give you some principles to defeating this that I think are useful. Now, this isn't a A, B, C, D, do them in this order. You can. You may not need to. It's not, if I do all of these, then I'll always be set and this will be good. Uh, you can do these and you should do these. And the thing with this particular sin, like so many sins, is that it's not, I beat it once and I'm good, Right? It's something that's ongoing in our lives. And so these principles are to be applied in an ongoing fashion. So let's look at this. Uh, I did actually make them all start with an R for you, so you can remember them. Um, that preacher alliteration. Here's the first one, reposition. You have to reposition yourself in relation to God. We regularly elevate ourselves, our desires, our wants, our thoughts, our intellects. Our emotions over and above God. We want to be sovereign over our own lives. But there's only one God. And you're not him. Uh, a place that you can turn for this. That is always a good reminder for me. Is Job 38. Uh, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. If you need to be reminded of your position in relation to God, this is a good place to turn. But we often reverse that position. We set ourselves over and above God. Reevaluate. We need to reevaluate our motives before God. And the circumstances that, that we hope to change, that we hope to improve. Why do I have such an inordinate desire for this or for that? Why do I think I need this so badly? Am I pursuing this for, for the honor of God or for myself? If I 
do have pure motives, then, then why is God not honoring my request or your request? Is God trying to highlight sin in my life? Is he trying to, to teach me something in this moment? Or maybe the Lord simply just wants you to experience this particular situation to draw you closer to him. Sometimes our motives just simply aren't pure. We're pursuing them only for selfish gain. But we need to reevaluate to see if that's true. Psalm 139, 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, reveal to me, I, uh, highlight to me, bring, bring to my attention the sin of this circumstance in my life. What Bring to my attention what is driving me to this level of discontentment in these circumstances, Lord. And then lead me in the proper way. Third, repent. We have to repent of the sin of covetousness. Uh, as I've worked through this topic this week in preparation, and reflected on my own life during seasons uh, of life, uh, even current circumstances. There's even things now that I've had to to look at and to re reevaluate. But I've come to the realization that uh, indeed my heart has at times been consumed with coveting. And, and rarely did I even recognize it. So we have to repent of these things. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Recognize that covetousness is listed with sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires. Paul states that it is idolatry. This is a significant thing that we have to deal with. Once we've repented, we need to re-engage. We re-engage the mission of the master. We can only serve one master. So after identifying the source of our discontentment, uh, it, it's time to get back to the task at hand. If we are diligently pursuing to please our master, we have far less time to be concerned with other things that, that, that grab our attention, that seek our affection, that pull us away, uh, that try to replace God as the object of our worship. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Not seek first his kingdom and then I'll give you all the things that you want over here. But by seeking his kingdom, it changes what we desire. It changes what we want. It changes what we're pursuing and what we're chasing after. And then lastly, refocus. Refocus your perspective. Refocus your, your vision. Too often our efforts are derailed by vision that's out of focus. Uh, think about driving a car. It's easy uh, or it's it's hard rather to drive when you're focused on a very small spot of the road immediately in front of your car. Anytime something else happens, it it, it changes what you're doing. You react almost violently to what's happening. But but when you look farther down the road, when you can see farther to the left and to the right, you're able to respond to circumstances as they change while you're driving. We we have a very uh, temporal focus often. But we need to refocus to have uh, our focus on eternity, from the temporal to the eternal. Paul says this in Second Corinthians. 
verse or chapter four, verse seventeen. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I would imagine even as I'm walking through this, as you're listening, as you're looking at these different texts, that there's already areas of your life where you're, you've identified uh, to one degree or another dissatisfaction. And begin to think, all right, Lord, what is driving this? Is this an area of, of sin that I need to address? Or is this is this something in my life that, that it makes a minor change that improves? But whatever that is, um, my prayer for you and, and for myself is that, that we would use these principles to regularly kind of keep ourselves in check. So that when these feelings do arise, that, that we can have something to grab hold to and to turn to and, and, and to walk through to say, all right, what's driving this? Because if left unchecked for too long, um, covetousness, this idea of envy and jealousy leading to discontentment, ultimately leads to death like all other sin. So I pray that uh, this week as you, as you look at this, as you consider your life, that you'll spend some time with the Lord. And maybe you'll be able to recognize some things in the past or maybe even some things that are current uh, to be able to, to reposition yourself. Uh, to bring that sin before the Lord and to be able to focus on what God is doing in your life or where you're at so that you can serve his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we love your word. Uh, Lord, that we can turn to it, that we can uh, understand uh, who you are and what you desire. Father, so that we can we can look at the examples of, of men and women of time past, Lord, and, and understand that it wasn't that they did bad things and we're not going to do bad things, but Father, that we can look at your word and under, understand how to relate to you in those, Father, that we can see those errors and see them uh, in our own life, Father, that we can turn from them and that we can turn to you, Lord, that we can put these things to death. God, I pray that you would work in our lives this week, Father, that we would experience contentment that we'd experience satisfaction that we would experience joy not just because of the things that we have but because of what you're doing in those parts of our lives father that our joy would come in and through you and serving you father again lord we love you and we know that you love us and we pray these things in jesus name amen have a good week guys